is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Isn't Jesus great? Hallelujah. Um, I'd never heard of, what was it, Tacky Watt? Yeah, Tacky Watt's it. Uh, Isn't God amazing, the fact that he can give somebody, you know, 80-odd miles away in Yorkshire, uh, a word, broken heart. Um, I nearly didn't bring that this morning, because I thought, what? What's that about? I mean, usually if I ask God to speak to me, it might be something like a you know, a sore arm or a broken leg or something like that. But I, I just kept getting this thing every day. I prayed broken heart. And uh, there wasn't much more than that. And I just felt I had to, to, to say that. Isn't God amazing? Amazing. Um, nearly 2,000 years ago, around 57 AD, uh, just 20 years or so after uh, the death of Jesus and after that first Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, hallelujah, um, a man called Paul wrote a letter to the first Christians in the imperial city of Rome. Now, Paul, as many of you may know, Paul was one of the first leaders of the early, very early Christian church. And he was planning to visit the church in Rome. He had started many churches around the Mediterranean world, um, but a church had started in Rome. And the first Christians there, Paul wanted to visit them, to encourage them, and to speak to them. So he writes this letter to them to introduce himself, to say, hey, I'm, I'm planning, I'm hoping to come and visit you. And in this letter, he gives them a uh, a preview, if you like. It's almost like a, a, a sort of like introduction, like when you see a film, you see an advert or something like that. He writes them this letter to give them the highlights of the message, what he's going to bring to them. Now, this guy, Paul, he was uh, an intelligent, very articulate man. Previously, he had been a uh, Jewish scholar, And he had uh, hated Christians. He, in fact, hated them so much that he worked for the Jewish authorities uh, in Jerusalem uh, to hunt out these new Christians, these new founders of this, what he saw as this new uh, religion. And he hunted them down and he had them thrown into prison. But... Uh, Just like my friend who had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on Easter Day, when was it, 1987? Got it right. Um, Paul had a dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus uh, out in the open air. He was traveling to Damascus and he had this encounter with Jesus. Everyone else didn't see Jesus. Everyone else just saw a bright light, but... Paul knew that it was Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul was blinded at that moment, and he got up, went into the city. God sent him a man 
to, to heal him, to open his eyes. And Paul became, from that point on, a radical preacher and the most articulate proclaimer of the good news of Christianity. He presented the case for Christianity clearly and persuasively. And in his letter, he says that he has a gospel to bring them. He uses that phrase gospel. It literally means good news. So Paul's message was a message of gospel, good news. He's got good news to announce to them uh, about Jesus Christ and about the salvation that can be found in this man who Paul had encountered, who'd been died on a cross, who'd been uh, proclaimed risen from the dead by his disciples, and then Paul met him on the road to Damascus. And Paul says to the Romans, I've got good news about Jesus to proclaim to you. And Paul says this good news is for everybody. Regardless of race, regardless of a person's identity, regardless of heritage, regardless of religion, age, color of skin, whatever, he, Paul, Paul emphasizes this good news is for everybody. And right at the beginning of the letter, um, some of you will know it as, uh, we can read it in our Bible, Paul's letter to the church in Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of this good news I've got. He knows that it can sound really, really strange to people. But he says, I'm not ashamed of this, this message because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. My message, says Paul, this good news, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And what Paul was saying is that his message, the, the gospel, has power. That, that, that it's not just a, a, a story. It's not just a, someone's ideas. It's a message that has power in it. So powerful is the message of the gospel, Paul says, that it can just literally change people's lives. Just like that. In a moment. And it can be Easter Day 1987, or it could be Easter Day 2022. Or in my case, it wasn't Easter Day, it was the 20th of October 1989, at 10 minutes to 10. In an instant, my life was changed by the gospel, because the good news is powerful. powerful. Paul says, people don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to have your lives changed. Um, all you have to do is to believe. Believe that the message I have for you is true. And if you believe it's true, then there is a power in the message that does everything else for you. It changes you. You don't have to change. In fact, Paul emphasizes you can't change enough on your own. But there is power in the gospel message to change everybody. No laws, no rules, no preconditions, just believe, says Paul. And Paul calls that grace. He uses that word a lot in his letter. Grace, the unearned, undeserved favor from God. And the amazing thing is, is that we can read Paul's letter to the church in Rome today. We can read it in our, in our Bibles, as I've said. Paul's 
letter to the church in Rome, the book of Romans, and we can read what the message of good news, this powerful message, is. And as we read it, what we realise is, is that Paul's message, his gospel, was not just powerful for the people in Rome 2,000 years ago, but it's equally powerful for us here in Derby on Easter Day 2022. And everybody else, wherever they are, wherever they may be, it's not just Paul's particular message for the Romans, but it's actually God's message, God's gospel, God's good news for every person everywhere. Good news for us today. And there is the same power of God for salvation for everyone who believes today. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to summarize Paul's letter to you. Because it's 16 chapters long and I haven't got time to take you through the whole lot. But the powerful thing about the gospel is that it works at so many different levels. And at its heart, Paul's message is very simple and straightforward. But he lays it out in different ways with different examples and different illustrations. But it's a very, very simple message. And the good news has not changed. God's grace has not changed. <clears throat> so this morning I'm going to proclaim God's good news to you. As Paul wrote it to the church in Rome, but as God is now bringing it to us. And, and I believe, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm not a man of great faith. I'm a man with a little faith in a great big God. But what, what, where my faith is, is that I know that as I bring this message, God's power will be at work in this room today. Not, not because of the eloquence of my words, not because of any specific good way of saying anything, but if I am true to Paul's good news, to the good news of the gospel, then I know that God's power is at work. And as I speak it this morning, I know that some of you are going to find uh, your hearts being warmed. That's the power of God at work. It may be even now that you're finding your heart being strangely warmed. Perhaps some people describe it almost as a knocking. God wants to speak to us. He already has spoken to us about our hearts this morning, but he wants to speak to all of us about our hearts. So I want to proclaim the good news. For those who have heard the good news before and you've responded to the good news, I want to proclaim it so that you fully understand it and you're able to go out of this place and proclaim it in a similar way. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Not just people in here, but people out there. But for those for whom this may be something new or, I don't know, maybe you've never heard the Christian gospel before. You've never heard the good news before. Or maybe, maybe you thought you had, but now you're not so sure. Then I want to proclaim the good news to you and give you the opportunity to respond to the power of God this morning. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come and release the power of God? in this place this morning. Here's the good news. Four points, just to remember. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. There is a God. And the most important thing that you need to know about God is that 
He loves you. God's got many, many qualities and characteristics that we could talk about this morning. He's the creator God. He's a creative God. He made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He may well have used the forces of evolution to do that at some point, but however he did it, he did it. Whether he did it this way, that way, or any other way, or a mixture of ways, he did it. However he did it. If there was a big bang, then God made the bang. Okay? God is the creator. God, it's all down to him. But the Bible tells us that what we are to focus on in that whole creation story is that the pinnacle of God's creation, the best thing that he ever made was human beings. People like you and me. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. The best thing he ever made. Turn to the person next to you or behind you and say, you are the best thing God ever made. <laughs> Come on, tell the person, you are the best thing. Some of you are feeling distinctly embarrassed. Some of you are thinking, surely not the person sat next to me. No. <laughs> the pinnacle of God's creation. He's the great creator God. He had a good time when he made you. A really good time. I mean, there's, there's so many characters of God. He's a holy God, which means that he's perfect. He's set apart. He's a holy God. He's a God of justice. He hasn't just set things into motion and then disappeared. He rules over the world with justice. Now, it may not look like that, but it will do. <laughs> he's a God of justice. It may not look like it now, but he will bring his justice to bear. But the most important thing to know about God is he loves you. He loves you. He loves you as a father loves over a child. Not, a, not an earthly father. I'm a father and I have my faults as a father. He is our father in heaven. The perfect father. Who loves us much more than an earthly father could ever Love. That's how much he loves you. And he's proven that to you. That's what Easter is all about. Specifically, the Friday bit of Easter. Today is Easter Sunday. A couple of days ago, it was Friday, which traditionally we call Good Friday. It's because when Jesus died on the cross, it was for our good. It was a good thing. It was a tragic thing in many ways, but it was a good thing. The cross proves Christ loves you. The cross proves that God loves you. That's what Easter was all about. But let's not jump too far ahead. Number one, point one, God loves you. Second point, you messed up. You got it wrong. You messed up. We've all messed up. We all get it wrong. Christianity is not a religion for those who never mess up. It, it, it's not a, a, a thing for uh, those who cut out all the mistakes and live the perfect life. Christianity is not for goody-two-shoes people. Where do we get that phrase from? Goody, anyway, I don't know. But it, it, you know, it, it's, not for, it's not for the perfect people, the good people, the people who've got their lives sorted out. You don't become a Christian 
by cutting out all the mistakes and getting things right all the time. Christians are not people who never mess up. <laughs> I see one or two smiles. There are some of us who have probably even messed up this morning in the few hours we've had on this Easter day. I uh, didn't become a Christian until I was 34 years old. And one of the reasons why I didn't was because I was a proud, arrogant Yorkshireman. And I didn't like anybody telling me that I'd miss, messed up. Whenever I did anything wrong, I don't know about you, I always tried to cover it up. When I was a kid, if I ever messed up, I always used to try and, try and hide my mistake, especially from my dad. <laughs> I don't know why I was, but I, I, I just wanted to hide it from my dad. I remember once when I was a kid that um, I came home from school. Mum and dad had gone out and uh, left me to cook my own tea. I don't know how old I was, 12 or something like that. So I decided that egg and chips, you know, was going to be the thing. So uh, oven chips had not been invented, okay? We're not going to go right back to when I was a kid. I'm not going to give you the year. But let's say there were no such thing as oven chips, okay? So chips, you got your pan of oil, big deep pan of oil, yeah, and you put your chips in. However, I put the pan of oil on the, on the stove and then forgot all about it. And then suddenly remembered and, and went back and did the thing that you should never do in that instance, which is to take the lid off the pan. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the pan was ablaze, you know. And uh, so I panicked. I did the next thing you should never do, which was to lift the pan up. <laughs> Nobody had told me about wet tea towels over the top or something. Lift the pan up, and of course, the, the, the flames and the hot oil all over the kitchen carpet. I eventually brought things under control. Mum and Dad came back. Dad walked in. So I, I, I sort of tried to cover up the, 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 the hole in the carpet by moving a rug. <laughs> Didn't work. There was another time, my best mate when I was young, he used to live on a farm and we used to, as kids, play on the farm quite a lot. And I remember one day we were messing around uh, as the farmer was actually chopping up turnips for the cows. Now again, we're going back um, in the same way that oven chips hadn't been invented. Health and safety was, was, was a figment of people's imagination when I was a kid on this farm, okay? So he was chopping up turnips with this great big grinding machine where the turnips went in the top and there was a big wheel with sharp blades on it. No guards, no safety or anything. We were messing around as kids. I got pushed. And as I sort of was running and got pushed, I reached out. Yeah, exactly. And ching, didn't feel a thing. But when I looked, half my finger end was missing. <laughs> and and I, my immediate instinct was, I knew I'd messed up. I'd been messing around. We'd been told before, don't run around in the, on the farm, you know. And I'd messed up, so I tried to hide it. <laughs> so I went running home, sneaked in the back door, went into the bathroom for a long time, looking at my finger, trying to stop the blood flowing. Knock on the door. It was my dad. Are you all right? What are you doing in there? Oh, yeah, I've just cut myself a little bit. <laughs> Eventually, I had, to, I had to own up to my dad. Dad actually ran over to the farm to see if he... <laughs> to, to search the, 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 the tin of shredded turnip to see if he could find my finger end. Sadly, the turnip had already been fed to the cows. But anyway. <laughs> but there was that natural instinct to hide 
to, to, to hide my messing up from, from my dad. And you know, that's, that's such a, a, a thing that before our Father in heaven, we, 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 we try to hide when we mess up. We try to dismiss it. Um, you know, dismiss it as, well, that, that's not important. It doesn't matter compared to that, that person. We try, we try to, to hide it. But do you know what? God knows when we mess up. <laughs> he knows when, I, when I've messed up, when I've said something I shouldn't have said, when I've done something I shouldn't have done, when I've thought stuff I shouldn't have thought. God knows. But do you know what? He still loves us. We mess up, but he still loves us. But Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, he said this. He says, he described it like this. He said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he uses an old word, sin, for, for messing up. It means messing up. It's an actually, it's an old word that, that used to be used in archery. If you sinned, it meant you'd missed the target. That's what, what it meant. You'd, you'd fallen short of the target. You'd missed the target. You'd messed up that, that, that shot. And Paul says, all have fallen short. All have messed up. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of God's standard. God's standard that Jesus set. We've fallen short of that. We've fallen short of the standard that God wants us to have. We've fallen short of the standard that you know, we need to have to have any fellowship with God at all. We've fallen short. And the Bible explains, and Paul explains in his, his letter, there's a consequence to this. There's a consequence to messing up. There's a consequence to our mistakes that has to be fixed. Did you drive here this morning, Naomi? James did. Let's imagine that Naomi drove this morning, okay? And uh, after this meeting, we're in the car park. And as she's leaving the car park, Naomi sort of like fails to look in her mirror very much and sort of reverses into the back of my car. And there's, there's a great big hole in my car. And, and Naomi is sort of beside herself with concern. She's, she's rammed the preacher's car. <laughs> and, and, but she, said, she might say to me, Steve, I'm so sorry, but please forgive me. And being the good-natured person that I am, I would say, Naomi, it's okay, don't worry. And she said, she said I'm so sorry. I said, don't worry. It's fine. I, I forgive you. But, but Steve, what about, no, it's fine. I forgive you. And she drives off, forgiven. But inside, I'm thinking, what about the hole in me car? <laughs> what about the hole in me car? That, 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 that's got to be sorted. I can forgive. But there's still a consequence to Naomi's mistake. And I'm sure that would never happen. <laughs> James would do it. Yeah, okay, of course. I'll talk to James afterwards. The, the point is, is there's a consequence to messing up. There is in life, yeah? But there is in eternal life. There's a consequence to messing up, to falling short of God's standard. Because... God rules the world with justice. You see, I might forgive Naomi, um, and God may forgive us. But he doesn't forgive us in the sense of letting us off, because there's consequences. There's holes <laughs> where, we, where we've left them, where we've rammed into people's lives. 
by the things we do and say. The bottom line is this. My messing up, my sin has to be paid for. There has to be an accounting. Nothing you can do, Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, nothing you can do, no amount of good works can avoid the moment of truth when you, with all your messing up, have to stand before a holy God and give an account. Uh, That's what Paul says. You might say, hang on, Steve, I thought you said Paul's message to the church in Rome was good news. This, This doesn't sound that good. Well, you can only have good news when you understand the bad news. The good news is only good because of the way that the bad news gets sorted. Good Friday is only good because Easter Sunday was coming. You can't know and understand the good news until you understand the bad news. God is holy. He is perfect. He is sinless. And I'm not. (laughs) I'm certainly not perfect. I'm not holy. I am not sinless. And because of that, I cannot have a relationship with God. If I, in my sinful person, have fellowship with God, God you know, he, he can't. He's perfect. He's holy. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. That's the bad news. But point three is that Jesus died for you. That's what Easter is all about. On the cross, if we could have the next one, Jesus died for you. God loves you so much, point one, that he came from heaven to earth to fix the problem that we have, point two. Sin has to be paid for, so God comes in the form of Jesus to pay it for you. You can't pay it off, so you are separated from God because of sin. But on the cross... What we remember on that Good Friday, on the cross, Jesus took your sin on his shoulders and therefore he was separated from God so that you don't have to be. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if if Jesus was God in human form, why would God separate himself from Jesus? Well, because My sin was on Jesus' shoulders. And God had to separate himself from my sin and from your sin. And Jesus on the cross felt that. He felt the separation from God. My God, my God. Why? Because of my sin. This is what the Bible calls self-substitution. Paul explains it extensively in his letter. What he's saying is, is that Jesus substituted himself. He paid the price so that you don't have to. He was separated from God so that you don't have to be. The ultimate penalty for sin is death, separation from God. Jesus died. He was separated so that you don't have to be. And on the cross, another thing Jesus cried out was, Tetelestai. It means it is finished. 
It is finished. In other words, Jesus was declaring that everything that needed to be done was done on the cross. Everything that needed to happen for you to have a relationship with God happened on the cross. It was all dealt with. It was all paid for. Think about this. You cannot alter your past. You can't change your life. You can't change what's happened. You cannot alter your past. But you can bring your past to the altar. To Jesus. You can't change it. But you can bring it to Jesus. And allow him to deal with it. Another of the first Christian leaders, Peter, in uh, his letter to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this. He, that's Jesus, personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. And Paul, in his letter, uses another legally based word, and that word is justification. He says that God has justified us. By paying the price for us, he has made us justified before God, righteous before God. God loves you. You've messed up. But Jesus died for you. And then the last point, point number four, you must respond. We all have a choice to make. And the choice, Paul makes it very clear in his letter, put simply, is whether we're going to let Jesus pay the price for our messing up or whether we pay it ourselves. Because it has to be paid for. (laughs) There's a hole in the car. There's holes all over where we've messed up. There's a mess there and a mess there. There's that person we've hurt. There's that person. There's this we haven't done. Who's going to pay for that eternally? Are you going to let Jesus pay for it? Or are you going to pay for it yourselves? Because it has to be paid for. There's a cost to our messing up. A price to be paid for our sin. And you get to choose. (laughs) And that's the choice. You can choose to let Jesus pay the price for you or not. You can choose to spend eternity with God or without him. The choice is yours. Some people would would say to me sometimes, you know, how can a loving God send someone to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. Every one of us make a choice of where we're going to spend eternity. We choose to be with God if we allow Jesus to pay the price for our sin or we choose not to be with God if we choose to pay the price ourselves. So my question to you this morning, and I'm going to be blunt, what's your choice? What are you going to choose? The cross of Good Friday shows the extent of God's love for you And the empty tomb of Easter Sunday shows the extent of his power to save you. I know many of you here this morning will have made the decision to let Jesus pay the price for you. But there are probably some here this morning and you've never actually 
done that. I want to appeal to you this morning. You might be struggling at this point to believe this, but you can't deny that the power of God is at work in this place. Right now, this, this, this will be one or two, maybe more people. I don't know. And you can feel, even as I've been speaking, your heart is being warmed. God is knocking on the door of your heart right now. And Jesus wants to come into your heart. I urge you to let him do that. I urge you to respond. It's a big thing to do. But actually, it's a simple thing to do. I often say it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you've messed up. Admit that that's true. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for you. And commit your life to him. And allow him to enter now into your heart. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Just uh, have a moment and just let the power of God, the Spirit of God to work in our hearts this morning. Perhaps just pray this prayer, prayer along with me. God, help me to respond this morning. God, help me to see my sin as you see it. God, help me to admit that I need you. God, help me right now to believe in you. Jesus, help me to believe that you died on a cross for me. Jesus, help me to know that you are here now and you hear my prayer. Come Holy Spirit. And here's a prayer for anyone who here this morning. There may just be one or two people who need to make a response this morning. Just repeat this prayer after me. God, I admit my sin to you. God, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong. Please forgive me. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe. And Jesus, I receive now your gift of forgiveness of sins. Jesus, come into my life right now and help me to live my life as you want me to.
I commit my life to you, Jesus. And just while we've all got our eyes closed and our heads bowed, just where you're sat right now, if, you, if you've prayed that prayer, whether it's for the first time or a prayer of recommitment, if, you, if you've prayed that prayer this morning and you know God's been knocking on your heart this morning, just, just lift your hand before God, just to acknowledge that you've prayed that prayer because I want to pray for you this morning. Just lift your hands. Thank you. Lift your hands. Just while everybody's got their eyes closed. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters here this morning, opening their hearts to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come into their hearts right now in this place and let them know that you have heard their prayer. Let them know. On Easter Day 2022 in this place. That you have entered their hearts, entered their lives. And they have a relationship with you. That they have become Christian. A follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish with a, a song of uh, praise and celebration, I think, uh, this morning. So if the band could come back up, that would be, be great. Um, God's not finished with our meeting yet. If you feel God is speaking to you or has spoken to you this morning, come and tell Adam. I'm sure we'd love to hear that before we go. If you um, responded this morning, if you prayed that prayer, uh, whether you put your hand up or not, God knows if you prayed that prayer, it'd be good for you to uh, speak to someone this morning, tell someone, speak to myself or Adam or perhaps people you know or people you've come with and uh, uh, it'd be good for them to be able to pray with you and uh, pray for you. So uh, it's Easter day. Hallelujah. Jesus has met with us this morning. He is risen. He's spoken to us uh, this morning. Let's uh, just finish. Uh, Naomi and the band are just going to lead us as we sing again. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.